Well, good morning. You guys can get out your outlines. If you're a guest with us, you have an outline in your packet that you got when you came in. We will be in Acts chapter 2. That's a book in the Bible, fifth book, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. I hoped I was right on that fifth book. Anyway, it is the fifth book. And we're in a series entitled, obviously, Vision 2020. And we are in Acts now, and we'll be in Acts all kind of throughout the year. It's kind of our theme book uh, from the Bible in the year, so it's our goal to kind of help you really get inside of Acts, but also Luke, the gospel, and just understand the whole ethos of what's happening in the whole birth of the church and the acts of the apostles and the spirit as we move through really the, the, the time of the church post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, post-ascension, and now to this amazing event called Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that really results in a complete worldview change. And the, one of the things that happened in my life that's kind of close to it is when I uh, went into the Army. I went into the Army in uh, 1972, January of 1972. It was the end of the Vietnam War. I was a total hippie. I didn't know what I was doing. I just joined the Army. And I wasn't even really that patriotic uh, certainly in the way I understand that now, when I joined. I just joined for different reasons, and, and I had a ponytail then. I know this is hard for you to believe, but it is true. There are some pictures on my Facebook that have me almost in a ponytail. Anyway, um, so, you know, you go to boot camp. I took boot camp at Fort Ord, California, because I grew up in Camarillo, so went up to Fort, Fort Ord, California, and and it was just an incredible experience. Uh, I was pretty selfish. I was, you know, 18, didn't really know what I was doing, and, you know, go to boot camp. And so I'll never forget the line. They line you up, you know, like, I don't know, let's say 100 guys, and you, they line you up, and pretty much half of us had ponytails. <laughs> and you go through this, you go through this room, and that haircut is the fastest haircut you have ever had in your life. I mean, it took a minute. And it was just like, bzzz, bzzz. and then I pretty much looked kind of like I did do now, uh, except it was a little buzz cut. But, but it was just, it was so amazing what happened in this experience. It caused a fundamental change of perspective with regard to myself and my community, what it meant to be a team, what it meant to ultimately die for people. I wouldn't have died for hardly anybody before then. Probably maybe, I don't know, my dad or something. Maybe. Uh, whatever. Uh, but within about four weeks, because of the process that you go through, you literally, by about four weeks, you literally, or you're starting to come now to this place where you would literally die for the man beside you. We would run like crazy all over Fort Ord, California, you know, gear on, and guys were out of shape, and... And so they'd be puking and falling over and dying, and you'd have to pick them up and carry them. And you'd carry them for miles, and you'd trade them off. You know, like, you know, you, some of us would carry them for a while, and then you'd trade off and switch out and switch out and switch out. And by the, by the end of about six weeks, you would have totally died for anybody in your unit. But by the end of the eight weeks, you would have died for, I would have died for any of you. Without question. All of our police officers in our church, all of our military in our church, all our first responders in our church know what that's about. This is why you saw what happened at 9-11. And that's why we're all able to sit in this free room in these chairs. How many of you are glad about that? Right? 
It's, it's because of this worldview that's a part of the ethos of America. Uh, and it all happened really in about eight weeks. And you're about to see a worldview shift in the church. Hopefully our church. It's one of my goals for 2020. Our church. You. But not just us. PB and OB and Scripps campus. All the campuses. That there would be this shift. That's why we chose uh, Acts. That's why we prayed about. We obviously we pray about everything that we're going to do for the year in terms of sermons. Okay, so we really and we decided this about six months ago to use Acts as the sort of theme of the year, so that we, as a spiritual community, would truly become more of a spiritual community. All right. So you're going about to see it. This is one of the most fun passages ever. It's going to freak you out. So go to Acts 2, go to Acts 2, in your Bibles, Acts chapter 2. Now, as you're going there, I want to show you a graphic, just because I want to continue to educate you with regard to Luke and, and his role, who he was, who his audience was, who is he writing to, why was he writing. I taught you a lot last weekend, for those of you who weren't here, you can go back and watch. You can always watch our sermons on our YouTube channel or on our website, whatever. They're there for you to real, uh, you know, watch and so forth. We have about 400, last weekend we had about 410, I think it was, people view this sermon online. So it, it's, it's a growing part of our ministry. But, but I just want to educate you uh, in terms of Luke's profundity, okay? God used Luke in an amazing way. One of the beautiful things about Luke is, is that he's a Gentile. He's a Gentile author. Now, how many of you, raise your hand if you are not Jewish ethnically. You are not Jewish. I'm, I'm Polish Proud of it. Irish, proud of it. Michael Quinn, of course. Colleen Quinn, Patrick Quinn, Kathy Quinn. That's kids' names. And one of my old Irish, Polish, French, French. Anyway, Luke's a Gentile, so he's one of me. I'm sure he's from Poland. Anyway, uh, but Moses, okay, now this graphic is based upon actual word count in the Old Testament language of Hebrew and the New Testament language of Greek. So this is sort of a numeric comparison between the five, I think it is, one, two, three, four, five, most prolific authors in your Bible. Moses is number one. Um, he's got like 125,000 words in the Bible. Uh, Ezra, believe it or not, a lot of people don't know this, is number two. Uh, but Luke is right behind him. Ezra is number two because Ezra writes First and Second Chronicles and the book of Ezra and part of the book of Nehemiah. So he's a very prolific author used by the Spirit in Scripture. But Luke is number three. Most people assume that Paul is number one. It's a sort of a normal thing because we spend, as a New Testament community, we spend a lot of times, time in the uh, letters of Paul. But just so you are aware... Uh, Luke is no joke, and in the, in the scenes that we're reading in Acts, he's not there. He's not even a Christ follower yet. He becomes a Christ follower later on in Acts, and I'll show you when we get there. You'll see it'll become apparent to you. But in, in, in this chapter, Luke's not there. He's done research and interview, no doubt with Peter, the kind of guy that we're going to look at at length this weekend and next weekend, but he's done research, probably when Paul is in prison in Caesarea, where he's in prison for two years, Luke is out and about. So he no doubt interviews apostles and all kinds of people in that time to understand what happened, what happened. And the gospel, like what happened in the gospel, like how did he do it? Remember, he's writing to who? Who's he writing to? Theophilus, that's right. He's writing to Theophilus. So he's writing to a specific person who's probably a, a government leader, 
a person of means, but struggling with his faith, struggling. We don't even know if he's a Christ follower yet. So he, he's kind of wrestling with a lot of issues. And one of the things that Luke's about to unfold for him is Acts to Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is like, I want you to think of like, okay, how many of you have been to our church baptism, all church baptism at the beach? Raise your hands up. How many of you have not been to that? Oh, dude, that's like the coolest event ever. Um, we baptize a ton of people, but all the campuses come together. It's the only event in the year where we get to do it. And we have like a barbecue and, and games, and it's just super fun, okay? So at Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament, ultimately Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, is like a giant party, like a giant party. It takes place in Jerusalem. Jews travel from all over the world. It was one of the three traveling uh, feasts of the year. So it was a huge party. And it was really a get-together, like a gathering of families and tribes that don't see each other but very occasionally. Now, we know from the rabbis that in the first century, the, the Jews were not required to travel Jerusalem that lived outside of the land of Israel. But we know, we'll see in a minute, that they do, they still do because they love it and they, they love going to it. And, and like I say, it's this giant party. Like when the people come to bring their offerings, like let's say they're bringing an, like a lamb offering. Now the priests cook it and the priest takes some of it for them. That's how they're supported. But then the rest is like barbecue. How many of you like barbecue? Now they're super good at barbecue. Like, I would argue, since they have practiced this art for hundreds of years. How many of you are from Texas? One, two, three, four. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> you thought I was asking some kind of question that I was going to make fun of you. <laughs> I, no, no. Texas has legit barbecue. My mouth is actually watering right now. Texas has some of the best barbecue. Uh, by the way, Ob, OB Barbecue House in on Newport is legit. Anyway, but these guys, but like, how old are Texans? Like what, three hundred years roughly, right? The Jews have been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years. You think they're good at barbecue? So that's this scene. Imagine Jerusalem swelling by tens of thousands of people. And they're having this, it's spiritual, but it's this party. It's this wild and crazy kind of event. Well, so let's read. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, now remember, Jesus told them to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and then they'll be, receive power to be his witnesses. And where in Acts 1, 8 did he say that you're going to be witnesses? Where is he saying you, that you're going to be his witnesses? Remember, the root word of witness is martyreo, which we get martyr from. So it's someone who literally lays down their life for the cause of Jesus and the brethren, and the, the church, laying down their life. Would you lay down your life for your church? How many of you, this is your church home? Raise your hands, raise your hands. You get to decide. Some of you are questioning still. You're visiting. You're guests. You're, you're seeing how weird or wonky we are. How nice are we? Whatever. And, you know, Jesus is doing something in your life to kind of help you bridge that, right? So you're in that experience. And I know what that's like as an adult. That's what happened to me as an adult. And so would you lay down your life? Are you laying down your life for your church? Jesus can't, said, I came to build my church and the gates of hell would not prevail against her. 
That's what's happening in this scene. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together. They were all gathered together in one place. Now, I believe they are on the Temple Mount in this part of this scene. They're on the Temple Mount. I'll talk to you about that in a minute. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house, notice, whole house. When Jews, particularly in the first century, and especially in this scene, and we're going to see Peter later quote Joel, where the house of God is the temple. The house. That was the way in which it was commonly referred to as the temple. Not like a house house, not like your house. The house in a Jewish world, contextually, it would refer to the temple, the temple courts, the whole temple mount. That was the house of God. So a sound like a mighty wind comes and fills the whole house where they're sitting. That's what you would do in the courts. They would walk around, pray. They would sit. They would teach. It it was like this giant area where all of this life would happen. Plus, remember, I told you already, they're eating barbecue. Okay? Each of them are sitting. They saw what seemed to be now tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So, and I want you to picture it. Everybody look at each other. Look around. Look at each other. I want you to picture. Everybody go like this. And I want you to imagine fire coming, appearing in the air, and then splitting up and being in like tongues of fire, little pieces of fire above everybody's head. And don't worry, those of you who are you are imprisoned by having hair. Don't don't worry uh, about it. But it wouldn't burn your hair. Okay, it just it'd be on. You know, it'd be on you. Uh, and if you look at Luke, by the way, if you're taking notes, you might write down Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where John the Baptist speaks of Jesus' coming. He says, one who's coming is greater than I am worthy to untie their sandals. And he's going to come and he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and what? What's John the Baptist say? Fire. Fire in the Bible is always a symbol of purification, judgment, uh, you know, uh, uh, holiness, okay? And really, Acts, Acts chapter 2 is a reenactment of Exodus where the Ten Commandments are given to Moses. And by the way, Pentecost, it's not just the Feast of Weeks where it's the Feast of all of the bounty of the harvest, that kind of thing. It rolls up as Jewish history unfolds into being this festival around the giving of the law, and now it becomes the giving of the Spirit of God. Okay? You with me? John, or, uh, John, uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 talks about that. So the, imagine the fire. Then it says, all of them were filled, notice the all, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, And then this weird miracle begins to happen. It says they all began, and this is the first incidence you have of it in the scriptures. First time. And we'll see as we go through the book of Acts, many of these kinds of experiences. The baptism in the Spirit. They, uh, they, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And by the way, any of you who have been baptized in the Spirit, you know this, that the Spirit, He comes upon you, but, but you must move your lips. <laughs> you must collaborate with Him. It's this divine collaboration. That's here in this text. Now, there were the, uh, staying in Jerusalem, 
God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, this is, this, is, this is just amazing how God does it. This is like one of those super examples of the sovereignty of God and strategy of God. Why does the baptism in the Spirit happen on Pentecost? Why would it happen when there are Jews there from all over the world? Okay, watch, watch. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Now, this is a huge crowd, okay? We know from the end of Peter's sermon, we're going to do that next week, but we know from the end, does anybody in the room, anybody in the house know how many people become Christ followers at the end of this sermon? It's in, in like verse 41. It's in your Bible. It's verse 41, 42 maybe. What's it say? 3,000. Thank you. 3,000. 3,000. So there's a huge crowd. But they come together in bewilderment because each one, and this is super important, each one heard their own language, underline that, their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are here speaking, uh, speaking Galileans? Uh, uh, the reason they know that is because Galileans had a certain kind of guttural, um, you know, like, a, a, a unique accent, for lack of a better word, to Aramaic, which is, and remember, Aramaic is the language of the day in Israel. Israelites in first century would speak Hebrew, Aramaic. Aramaic was their primary language. Hebrew was their religious language, if you will. But they would also commonly speak Greek, because ever since Alexander the Great, he swept the world with Hellenism, everybody spoke Greek. Okay? It was like uh, English a bit, like today in the world. English is like a main language, Greek in that world. All right? But they spoke uh, Aramaic. I'm just saying they had a certain language that they used, a certain uh, dialect, a certain accent. Uh, kind of like the South. It, or like, a, like people who live by where that team plays that isn't playing in the playoffs. Yeah, New England. <laughs> so sad. My heart is broken for poor Bill and Tom. <clears throat> Not really. Anyway, okay. <laughs> then verse 8. Then how is it that each of, the, each of them, I'm sorry, each of us hears them in our native language, our actually, you can translate that, uh, our, our native dialect, our own dialect, kind of like Galilean, okay? And then, then Luke lists who's there. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, uh, Mesopotamia people, Judea, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. And then notice how he says, visitors of Rome. A lot of people wonder, how did the church at Rome get planted? How did it get birthed so quickly? You know, because Paul writes to it, but he hasn't been to it. If you recall from, from the epistles, Paul writes to it, he hasn't never been there. How did the church get to Rome? I believe the church of Rome began in this scene. So they're from visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring what? The, what does it say? The wonders of God, the wonders of God in our own language, in our own tongues. Notice the specificity of the language here. Amazed and perplexed, they ask each other, Oy they, what does this mean? What is the significance of what's going on in front of us? And then, as is always the case when the move of God happens, you have to watch yourself 
You have to watch yourself. You check yourself before you wreck yourself right here. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Now, hang on just a second. That's not out of the blue. That's not, remember I told you it's a giant party. What are Israelites super good at? Drinking. But what are they super good at making? Wine. They're like freaky good. They still are. The wines in Israel are the best wines ever. It's crazy how good they are. Why? How long they've been doing it? For a long, long time. Remember I told you it's a party. So they say, I think all these guys are just hammered. Now that seems weird in our culture, unless you live in OB. <laughs> just saying. It's not uncommon. So Peter stands up. Peter, which is so absurd, except for what's happened in his life. Remember, how many times does he deny him? What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Peter processed it with Jesus, received forgiveness, received his commission, received his purpose, went to boot camp. Judas didn't. By the way, Josh, the young man who was drumming for you this morning, this is his last weekend because he joins the Marines on like February the 3rd or 4th. How cool is that? Yeah, give him up. I don't know where he is, but so he's going to go through a world shift. Believe me, it's going to be awesome. Anyway, Peter stands up with the 11, raises his voice and addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not hammered as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning after all. We're not that big of lusses. Anyway, no, this is what the prophet Joel spoke in the last... Now, he quotes Joel at length. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Notice all. Notice the inclusiveness now. Notice what he's doing. Joel, prophesying hundreds of years earlier, Peter's now applying it to this moment. He says, your daughters and your sons will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. That's why I dream a lot. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. This is about a radical global transformation, a worldview shift. And that's my prayer for us, that we would experience it. I will show wonders in the heavens above and, on the, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So he's telescoping forward. Peter's saying, look, Joel, who likely prophesied in the 9th century B.C., it's, it was fulfilled some in his you know, near future, but now it's being fulfilled here in Acts 2, and then it's going to roll up into the end of times at the day of the Lord, when the second coming of Jesus the second coming of Jesus. And then he says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how do you and I live this life fueled by the Spirit? How many of you want to have a life that's genuinely, radically filled by the Spirit? Raise your hand. You get to decide. If you don't want to, you don't have to. He's not going to like arm wrestle you into it. 
But he wants to do a work in your life that changes your life. And it's not just today, it's every day. It's every day. And we have to understand some things. And that is that it is the role of the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's promise to equip us. To equip us. The Holy Spirit fills to change our lives. To equip us ultimately for the use of him in ministry inside the church and outside the church. That's why Peter stands up and he says, gang, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter stands up. What is going on? What happened to him? He turns from this fisherman who's got some leadership gifts and everything in him, but he full-on delivers a whole sermon. What is going on? And who does he quote? Joel. Sometimes people will teach that Galileans are um, illiterate. They have a, in my opinion, an unbiblical view of, of Galileans. We now have, some of us who are in this room went with me to Israel in October. We're going to go again this October. We're going to have a trip. I'll start telling you how to do it, sign up for it. But we're, we saw a brand new archaeological dig on the southern border of the Sea of Galilee, you know, Galileans, Galilee, and it was no joke. It's for real. It's no doubt the, a, a synagogue in which Jesus spoke and taught. It's the only one of its kind that we have actually the first century floor and uh, side walls and everything. And the scroll rooms there are no joke. They, were, they, were, they had a full-blown synagogue full-blown, and there's a big old honking mansion kind of close to it. We walked through it. It had a big old bath internal to the home. So we tend to think of Galileans in a certain way. Can't we never forget, you know, uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, what are they all by vocation? Fishermen. But Jews by bar mitzvah, they would memorize much of the Torah. And obviously, Peter memorized this section of Joel. When Peter does this, he doesn't say, Oh, let's turn in our Bibles. Let's turn on our iPhones to Joel uh, chapter 2. No, he quotes it. Oh, which begs the question. How much of the Bible can you quote, oh, spiritual one? It's, it's about life transformation, you guys. And we get to live the effects of Pentecost all the time. Notice all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them. We get to, we get to live this out on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, this is the only occasion in Scripture where we have an example of tongues being a known language. In 1 Corinthians 14, it's just prayer and the Spirit. Nobody understands what we're saying except the angels and God. So there, there's no other biblical example of this. this. This one's very special. We'll see other examples of it in Acts as we go along. But, but this is very, very rare and unusual because they speak in known languages. Now, there have been occasions down through church history of this happening. Um, it's usually in micro form, but I could cite you many examples, but I will cite you one that's very close to me because it happens to be my wife. We were on a missions trip to Belize uh, in Central America, Belize, and no, most of you, when you think of Belize, you think kind of like Costa Rica, you think of a vacation spot, which it is, and when, the only place really in Belize that's a vacation spot is the Ambergris Key. I'm a certified diver. I've been certified since 1976, and so I'm a diver, and there is an amazing dive spot, one world famous in Belize, and I dove it. It's crazy. It's cool. 
Uh, I even got my wife, Teresa, to kind of snorkel it uh, with an inner tube. And <laughs> anyway, it was really cool. We, we snorkeled what's called Shark Alley. <laughs> and it was cool. Anyway, um, but in the inland of Belize, when you uh, fly into there, you can't fly on jets, you fly in little prop jobs. And we're on a medical missions trip, and when you fly into the inner interior of Belize, it's like you took a jump in of a thousand years in time. I mean, they literally live like a thousand years ago. Anyway, we did medical stuff, and so Teresa was, and I were working in prayer and counseling, and so she was working with her team, and I was working with mine. Anyway, she was praying for the, she was talking to these, this couple, had a 14-year-old uh, girl uh, translator, and the translator was having a hard time translating for Teresa into this dialect of Belizean. And so, anyway, so it came time for prayer, and Teresa said, I'm just going to pray, and I'm, I'm just going to pray in the Spirit. They wouldn't necessarily know what that means. And so she just began praying in, in tongues, praying in her, her spiritual language, uh, which she does all the time. We do it together all the time, whatever. So she just begins praying in the Spirit. And so she prays for a little bit, and then um, opens her eyes, and th both these people are crying. And the, the girl says to her, can you pray like that over me? And Teresa said, sure. Why? And the little girl said, well, because you said you didn't speak our dialect of Belize, of Belizean, but you prayed in perfect Belizean over this woman. So it was like a miracle happened, like a little micro miracle. And then, of course, she prayed for the girl. They had both become Christ followers. I mean, it was an amazing story. Those are very rare kinds of things. But that's what's happening in this passage. And that's, that's what happens in our lives. See, the Holy Spirit wants us to translate the gospel to those around us. Everybody hears them in their own dialect, their own dialect. And by the way, Acts 2 is actually the reversal of what happens at the Tower of Babel. How many of you know the story of the Tower of Babel? Raise your hands. Okay, so a lot of you don't know that story. You can Google it, where they're, they're doing something very prideful, and God judges them by making them speak all different languages, and so there's confusion and everything like that. What happens in Acts 2 is really the reversal of the Tower of Babel. God gives them the, these tongues that are known languages, which brings them all together and then sends them out to where they all are from. But but the Holy Spirit, he helps us tra to translate the gospel into the language of those around us. So what is the language of the people in your life? What are the dialects? Now, in Tierrasana, we have many different dialects. I mean, arguably, we have different languages, but let's just keep on dialect for a second, because everybody has different dialects. Like, those of you who live in Portofino, you have a certain dialect. I lived there for 14 years. It's, you have a bunch of language that you use that's unique to you, unique to Portofinos. Whatever. Uh, just like down the hill, I lived down there for many years. There's, lang there's different dialect there. How do you translate the gospel? Because your goal, your job, your mission, should you choose it, Jim, is to learn the language of your God story translated into their language. Those of you who are actively in the military, raise your hands. Okay, raise my power. I want to see. Okay, so in your communities, you all have different dialects. Okay? There, there are many dialects within the military community, just like in the army. Any army? Anybody in the army in here? We hardly ever have anybody in the army. Nobody's in the army. 
I was in the army. The army, like I learned it when I went into the army. I didn't have any idea of all this insider, all the dialect. I didn't know how to do it. And, but my point is, is that God has you in wherever you are, in the places you play, play, the places you work, the places you live, to translate the gospel into their language. The wonders of God, your job, your mission, your, why you are here. And this has everything to do with you being baptized in the Spirit and filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and everything. The more you walk in the Spirit, the more you get this. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit like actively walking with you, working in your life, then this is a big challenge for you. How do I translate the gospel into my community? Because that's what he's doing. This is the will of God. Why is it happening in Acts 2? This is the whole reason for it happening. And the Holy Spirit awakens and empowers us to be a people on mission, a, a, a group, a movement. It all starts in Acts 2. How many people are in Acts 2? You remember from last week? How many people get baptized in the Spirit? No, not 3,000 yet. Uh, about, about 120, Luke tells us. Okay, So it's about 120. So they're speaking all these languages. But they become an army. You are a fruit of, the, of Acts 2. Like you all, and there's more than 120 of you. You're all a downline product of this activity of the Spirit. And notice it's indiscriminate. Sons and daughters, young and old, Paul, the apostle, who's not even saved in Acts 2, he will later write, neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, uh, Greek, uh, you know, whatever, male or female. Everybody is included in this. There's no spiritual elite Peter, who's speaking in Acts 2, he many years later will write, you know, his, the Petrine epistles, 1st, 2nd Peter. In that, he will talk about you now as the priesthood of believers. How many of you grew up in a liturgical setting where there were priests? Raise them up, raise them up, I want to see. Not that many of us, trippy. But for us, that can freak us out. Because we hold a priest in a different way. Peter says, all y'all, all of you, all of me, all of us, and with the Holy Spirit's power, we can accomplish His plan, not our own agenda. This is where the biggest fight is, my agenda versus God's agenda. I will show you one, I will show wonders in the heavens and above and there are signs on the earth below. This is what God wants to do. He wants to accomplish His agenda through us and through our collaboration. And when we operate in our own unique giftings, we are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. This is what happened at Pentecost. He launches the gifts of the Spirit. He launches the movement of the Spirit in Acts 2. This is why Paul, the apostle, will later write to the Romans, and there are all these gift lists in Scripture. He talks about, we all have different gifts according to uh, the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then, you know, do it cheerfully. And, and God's unleashing the spiritual gifts in the church. And I see this in you. At times, it's beautiful, but there's so much more God has for us in this regard. Like, for example... Eddie, our student pastor, he, got a, he, he felt led to do this thing on Tuesdays, I think it's from 3 to 6, which is to open the East Wing and have like students be able to come in there, 
whether they come to church or not, of course. And, and uh, he had lots of ideas for it. And he said, one of the ideas I want to have is I want to have a snack shack. And so what happened was he cast that vision. And uh, this woman came to him offline and said, hey, Eddie, uh, how much does it cost to run that snack shack? And he says, he says probably about 100 bucks a month. She goes, okay, I want to pay for the first year. Why would she do that? Because she has a gift of giving. She has a gift of giving. I have that gift. I love it. It's super fun. I have the gift of giving. It's so fun in my life. Uh, and a lot of times it's very spontaneous. It's super cool. Now, when it comes to you, if you don't know your spiritual gifts, write that down. This is our website, newbreak.church forward slash pathway. Uh, you can take a picture of it. Marcus, in the Discover Your Pathway life group, you will all go through and take the spiritual gifts test. We call it, it's really an assessment, but it'll help you know what are your spiritual gifts. Some of you don't even know what they are. You have no idea of what you're, you're and maybe you've never even heard of this before. I am just saying, this is what God's doing. This is the Spirit of God. This is what He's doing. He wants you to know what your spiritual gifts are so that you can use them in serving in your church and serving in your world. That's what He does. And our relationship with the Spirit, it begins at conversion, but it goes on and on and on. And we're going to see this through the book of Acts. On and on and on, all through your life. It's the way He does it. You know, Ultimately, yeah, repent and be baptized. You're going to receive the Spirit, but then you're going to move on in all these experiences of the Spirit in your whole life. And the Spirit, He leads us through promptings. That's how He does it. Why'd the woman commit to 1200 bucks? I wonder if she even asked her husband. <laughs> anyway, whatever. <laughs> it's about these promptings, okay? These promptings. And by the way, the role of the Spirit is not to make you sinless. The role of the Spirit is to make you sin less. You're not going to be sinless till you go where? Heaven. Then you're going to be, you know, perfect, right? So, how do we know when it's the Spirit and not pizza? You could write that in your notes. Well, He helps us follow and accomplish God's purposes. It agrees with Scripture, super, super important. I feel led of the Spirit to fill in the blank. And that's either pizza or your flesh. Uh, anyway, uh, if it disagrees with Scripture. Uh, does it, is it opposing our sinful does, desires? Are they directed toward helping people and not harming them? I feel led by the Spirit to just cuss you out, Pastor Mike. Whatever. Yeah, wrong? Uh, does it align with the fruit of the Spirit? All of these things. And the Holy Spirit is in our lives to help us. Now, I have a seminar that I do on this. It's on our website. This is an hour and 20-minute deep dive into who's the Spirit, what's He do, what's His role, and it's at the website, and then it's forward slash HS, which stands for the Holy Spirit Seminar. And this is a seminar built to take you deep dive. It's about an hour and 20 minutes. And uh, how many of you have ever been to the Holy Spirit Seminar, like in history, you've been to it? Okay, several of you have. Most of you have not. I would strongly encourage you to go there. It's kind of like a biblical theology of the Holy Spirit. It'll train you and teach you and, you know, be very, very informative and helpful to you. Now, in 2020, we're going to start a thing like a modality. It's going to be a couple of nights in the year where all the campuses are going to come together and we're going to have a worship experience. In that worship experience, we are going to see 
how the Holy Spirit wants to guide us and lead us. We will have an environment and in that environment where we will be able to pray for people to get baptized in the Spirit and so forth, where you can begin to un unlock those doors. Some of you are very scared of the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. So this, hopefully we're hoping and praying that this will be helpful in, in your life and in your family and in what you're doing. And, you know, when it comes to 2020, like, what are you hoping that the Spirit will help you to accomplish? What are, the, what are the things that you need the Spirit to do? Some of you are totally freaked out about these kinds of things. Like, have the courage to invite somebody to church. Some of you are super intimidated by that. That's okay. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. He's going to tell you, dude, invite Joe. And right then you're going to go, Mm, that's the pizza. It's not the pizza. Go on your first missions trip. We have the whole Amore house build trip in our Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we, last year, I think we had 120 or something. Go on that thing. It's awesome. Uh, start living more generously. Like Live like that woman. Uh, maybe it's tithing, as simple as that, whatever. Uh, start serving. Like Some of you don't serve at all in your church. Raise your hands, you go to this church. This is your church. Raise your hands. I'll raise your hand. Are you serving and where? Like that, by definition, is a, is a thing of the Spirit, okay? Um, living more missionally at work, like where you get it, you're at, you're at work on a mission, not just the mission of the organization, but the spiritual mission. And then inviting people into your life group, because you're going to, it's life group fair weekend. I'm going to release you in just a second. In fact, stand with me. You don't have to grab your gear yet, but you will in a second. So I'm going to, unless you need more prayer, go over to the cross. If you're new, go out to the blue tent to help you. But all the rest of y'all, how many of you are in a life group now? You already are in one and everything. Okay. Okay. I need, a lot of you are. I need you to help right now. Right now, I need you to help people who are not in a life group. So when you're walking out and stuff, go, hey, are you in a life group? And invite them to yours. Okay? Maybe that's like the starting place. Like, you're scared to ever invite anybody to church. Okay, so just invite people in the church <laughs> to go to your life group. Okay? Oh my gosh, you guys are so cute right now. You're like, dang, really? Yes. So I'm going to pray. Okay? Bow your heads. You guys watching online, bow your heads. You guys watching online, you're in, if you're in town, I want you to start coming to church. <laughs> For all you who are deployed, we love you. We love you. We love you. In fact, Lord, we pray for those that are deployed right now watching this online. You will be with them. Holy Spirit, you will fall on them. Freshly baptize you, them in your, your power and your presence, God. Keep them safe. They're lonely. Help them with their loneliness. Help them to find community on board ships, wherever they are, God. And for us, Lord, fall afresh on us. You are here to fill us so that we can move. We can act. Help us to get in life groups right now. Help us to figure it out. Help our life groups, Lord, this season to be the most spirit-filled, spirit-led life groups ever in the history of the movement we know as New Break, God. Help us to live that out virally and vitally in our life group. So bless us. Bless the life group leaders, Lord. Fill them with your spirit, the host home people. Fill them with your spirit, God. Bless us all 
in community so that we can be on mission in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, go have fun. Sign up. See you next weekend.